honestly, you feel it. You feel it in the fabric. Like, you can tell good quality Cordura. Hey there, Marksman Tribe. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Marksman Radio. This is episode 22, and I'm your host, as always, Matt Robertson. Former military officer turned tech sector, corporate grunt, outdoors enthusiast, shooting nerd, and most importantly, your faithful friend. Now, in this week's episode, I have a special guest, Cody Hamill, who is a kind of out-of-nowhere guest for a show like mine. Uh, he popped up in the comments on one of my blog posts several weeks ago about load-bearing gear, and he just threw a shout-out saying, nice to see somebody actually getting out there and using stuff and writing about it. And I had to ask myself, who is this person who just made this comment under the name Sojourn Gear? S-E-W-J-O-U-R-N. And so I click the link, I find his Instagram profile, and he just has all kinds of videos, and he's just a very happy, quirky guy who enjoys making gear. So this is not a sponsored episode or anything like that. This is a straight up, this person just seemed like somebody I wanted to talk to. And he has a really fun backstory about how he was trained as a logger and then jumped into actually producing gear um, professionally. And now he's off on his own trying to do stuff. And the reason I wanted to do this episode was twofold. Number one, I've always been interested in learning how to make stuff. And I've toyed around in the past the idea of buying a heavy-duty sewing machine and trying to make a couple of things here and there, or at least customizing my own gear. I get those questions here in the interview. Uh, but also just how do people go about doing it and recognizing good quality gear? Because all of us know all the big brands like your First Spears and your HSGIs and STACs and Mayflowers and many more who make great quality gear. Um, but we don't hear a whole lot from the little guys who just are doing it out of their garage and with just ingenuity and know-how. And that is why I wanted to talk to Cody today. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and step back and let you listen to the interview. Don't forget to check back in for the last couple of minutes. And I'll give you some of my key takeaways. Cody, welcome to the show. Matt, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. So I'm going to get started on the first question of the day, which is tell me about your background. So I grew up in Minnesota working for my dad cutting trees. That's my real trade. It's like climbing trees with chainsaws. And that's what I grew up doing. And it's awesome. But in school, we had a sewing class, like a home ec type class. And it was really fun to to make something. I'd never really made something before and it kind of sparked something. And my dad had an old Singer sewing machine. So I kept kind of sewing at home. My old favorite backpack wore out and I just tried to make a new one. And I just fell in love with making stuff, you know? So Cody, tell me what took you from sparking that passion in school to making gear professionally full-time. Um, I, I worked on my own for a couple of years and then a couple of my local Minnesota buddies ended up riding their motorcycles to San Francisco of all places. And I ended up following them out there after they had found a spot to land. So, <laughs> and uh, ended up enjoying it out there, kind of a hip urban environment. And uh, I got a bicycle and I rode around the city of San Francisco, just looking for sewing jobs, you know, and I was able to find this 
really neat little business called Rickshaw Bag Works in the dog patch of San Francisco. Met with the owner, Mark Dwight, and we had a cup of coffee and hit it off, and he hired me that day, and I worked for him for about three years. Cool. So so you kind of did the San Francisco life. That's probably different from Minnesota. How was that for you? It was, like I say, it was fun. I was young. I moved out there when I was 19. And, uh, you know, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. It's like, wow, this is cool out here. And just, you know, riding my bicycle around the city and uh, with my backpack. And it was, it was fun. Uh, I wouldn't want to go back now. It's just getting so hectic with all the tech boom and, and all that. But it was really fun while it lasted. It seems like there, I know a lot of companies are out in San Francisco that kind of have a similar vibe to them where they make this high quality stuff. And I think there's triple lot designers out there. Um, yes. Uh, a they were ones. right next to Rickshaw. Excellent company. I've actually, I've actually been to that shop in San Francisco. So I was probably real close to Rickshaw then. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So, uh, okay, cool. So you did the San Francisco life. Um, kind of, is that where you kind of got a lot more experience doing the sewing then? Yes. That was like a full-time job. I just worked with Mark and we would kind of just sketch up designs for a new bag, like a backpack or a duffel bag or a zipper pouch, you know, simple stuff. And, uh, then I would just develop it. You'd make a sample and then you, you use it and make tweaks and then, and then, uh, go from there. So what was the biggest thing you learned from doing that? Um, it's, it's a lot of work to, to turn an idea in your mind into a finished product. Like even uh, just a simple mag pouch. And as simple as that is, you got to make the thing, you got to use it and you got to tweak it. And there's just, there's a lot that goes into bring up a product from an idea to a finished product. So how'd you go from doing messenger bags in San Francisco to making tactical gear and outdoors gear? So when my time in San Francisco was done, I moved back to Minnesota and I started, I met, kind of got involved with a group of friends that was into a little bit of preparedness, but like shooting guns. I had never really shot guns growing up. And I'm like, dude, this is cool. Guns <laughs> are fun to shoot. And um, of course, what goes with guns is your gear to carry your um, you know, your backpacks and your chest rigs and your little pouches. And I, I love it. It just goes hand in hand so well. So tell me about the story the first time you're ever shooting then. What happened on the first day you ever went to shooting? Well, there, we were a, a big group of friends was kind of doing like a meetup, like over the weekend, you know, um, different classes were being taught by different people and stuff. It was, it was fun. And of course they had a shooting class. So everybody had their guns laid out and everything was relatively safe. And you just had to stand at, I don't know, five yards or something and shoot at the target. And, uh, I did decent, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy, but it just felt really cool to be able to hit what you were aiming at. Uh, just satisfying for some reason. And then it just kind of went from there. Like shooting is fun to like, taking a few training courses to like, now my, I carry my gun on my person 24 seven. Um, just, what, what do you just carry? Because, uh, mostly a Glock 19. 
And I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be. It's funny. I feel like that's probably a question I should start asking everybody just right off the bat. It's like, what do you carry? <clears throat> well, so when you started, you, you recognize like that, Hey, there's a need for gear. What, what drove you to make that first piece? Was it something, a request that somebody made or did you just recognize a need? So, I mean, I mostly, when I got going, you know, on my own, like backpacks was kind of my focus because I, I always have a hard time finding backpacks that I personally like. There's, there's just always something that I don't like. So I'm like, well, if I can't find one that I like, I'm going to make one of my own. Um, um, kind of like a classic army rucksack style that just has a flap with two buckles up front and little side water bottle pockets and uh, turned out horrible, just, <laughs> just terrible. <laughs> what, what was but wrong? What, what, made it, it, right? what made it terrible? Well, I... I didn't have a industrial sewing machine. So I had a really hard time getting through that. I used thick cotton canvas. I had a really hard time getting through the thicker seams and I didn't have any binding tape. So I used hot glue to seal the seams so they wouldn't fray. And it's just so funny, but you got to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So how long after that till you started doing this as a full-time gig? probably two or three years uh, from when I tried to make my first backpack to, to where I went out to San Francisco and I just showed, showed my boss or to be boss stuff that I had made like, Hey, th I can make this. And apparently it was good enough to get me a job. <laughs> so I'll take it. I didn't get into shooting until after I moved home from San Francisco. Okay. What was, so what was the first thing you made once you came back? probably more backpacks. There's always something to improve on, but you know, I make a lot of duffel bags, different shoulder bags, lots of zipper pouches, um, stuff like that, you know? And that catches us up to, to now where I, I see your Instagram stories and YouTube where you're making precision shooting stuff. A lot of the time, it seems like where you've got slings or you've got, uh, bags for putting rusting rifles on, and, and uh, shooting bags and magazine pouches for that matter. So what's your favorite stuff to make now? The beauty of it, I get to make all kinds of stuff. Right now, I do primarily custom stuff. People contact me mostly from Instagram, a little bit from YouTube, and they just say, hey, I need this, I need that. So that kind of dictates what I make. Um, you know, I'll make a backpack for someone. I've made a handful of chest rigs. I've made a handful of custom plate carriers for different people. Um, you know, duffel bags, general purpose pouches, um, you name it, you know, mm -hmm. why the name sojourn gear? That's a cool question. So sojourn gear is, it kind of comes from like, like the Bible a little bit, like, like Abraham, you know, kind of like, one of the guys early on, he was like a sojourner. The sojourn means to like temporarily dwell in kind of like a foreign land. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, we're all kind of sojourning on the earth, if you will. Um, but then of course it's spelled S O J, but I, so, so I did S E W J O U R N 
episode cheering gear. Um, and I'll definitely be leaving a link down to your website in the show notes of this episode too. You know, for somebody who, who, who I am not a, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a gear nerd. I'm not, I know that's that much is true, but how do I recognize, how do I recognize something that's well-made? Like I know like there's certain companies that you generally are going to be able to trust more for something quality, but what makes something more quality? How would you recognize that? I love this question. Quality speaks for itself. Like if you pick up a pair of red wing boots or something, you, you just pick it up and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is a quality piece of gear. Um, but I mean, to get more into it, honestly, you feel it, you feel it in the fabric. Like you can tell good quality uh, Cordura versus like a lot of the Chinese fabric has a really cheap kind of vinyl backing to it. And that ends up, you know, flaking off and, um, it just feels kind of, it doesn't feel good. You, you look at the stitching, you know, higher quality bags tend to have a little bit tighter stitching and then look at the stress points on the shoulder straps or on the certain webbing high stress points. It should be back tacked, you know, lots of thread laid down. Mm -hmm. Um, it should have form and function. Each thing should, should look good. It should function good. It should do what it needs to do well. And, uh, yeah, quality speaks for itself. Okay. So when you want to make a design, what's the first thing that you start thinking about? You, you mentioned you want it to be form follows function. So I guess that's where do we start? Right. When I'm designing a new bag or, or chest rig or whatever, I take everything I want to carry and put it in a pile. And that kind of gives me an idea of how big it needs to be maybe a couple different pockets that that's what I start with. And then you just think about stuff. I think I don't spend a ton of time on sketching stuff out. I get kind of a general, like super sloppy sketch. And then I just start cutting, um, pattern pieces. I, you usually start with like the foundational piece, like the back piece of a backpack or something and, and make sure everything is square. And then you just start building everything like a puzzle piece around that, making sure every piece fits the next. And um, you kind of just take it from there. So it's kind of, so you say it's kind of like a puzzle then. You just kind of have to visualize what you want the end to look like and get there. Right. How many, how many times does it take to do something? Like if you want to make a backpack and you're just going to have this idea, how many iterations might you go through to get there? I've made so many different backpacks and I've thrown away so many patterns <laughs> that just didn't work. Um, you know, I'm still in the process. I'm by no means an expert. My favorite um, backpack company is mystery ranch mm. out of Bozeman, Montana. Oh yeah. I, I've um, been there. Dan okay. Dana Gleason. I've never met him. I hope to one day, but he is light years ahead of this this little kid um but like i say yeah it takes a lot of a lot of trial and error but you got to put in the work and you don't you don't guess get there by not doing it yes that amen to that you know i'm not gonna lie i am curious now because 
I have toyed with the idea with my wife of what if I got a sewing machine and kind of started modifying some of the stuff I already own. For instance, I have a backpack. Um, I have many backpacks. I'm a bag nerd, but I have one from a Finnish company, Savota, that I would love to add like a little sleeve for my axe. And I think that'd be like a really handy way to carry my axe. But that's a few layers of Cordura on top of what's already been there. So, I mean, where do I start? Like, if I want to make my own gear, like, where do I start? Well, I would say go for it. There's, there, it's a big world out there, and there's room for everybody. Like, so don't worry about. I mean, I try not to worry about competition. I just try to make a good product, and um, you know, if people like it, they will buy it. Um, so that's something to think about. Um, but as far as getting going, my first machine that I got that I still run each and every day is a Adler walking foot machine. And we're talking industrial machines here. So there's a couple different uh, varieties. There's just like your, I believe it's called a drop stitch. That's just like a conventional um, sewing machine. The needle just goes up and down. Uh, then there's the needle feed machine where the needle bar actually helps to feed the fabric through. It runs back and forth. And then the the heaviest the heaviest duty machine is the walking foot machine where the feet and the needle bar actually help walk and pull that fabric. So it's it's really good for sewing through thick layers of fabric, through you know foam and shoulder straps and stuff like that. Um, and you can do you can do all kinds of stuff. You don't want to sew underwear with it, but <laughs> but it's really good for for uh, you know cordura and gear related stuff. You know thick gun belts and stuff like that. Okay. So I got my first walking foot industrial machine on Craigslist for like seven hundred bucks. Made sure it worked, you know, before I bought it, and I, I haven't had any trouble with it. It's a beautiful machine. It's super old, and I love it. Um, so that's, that's a good place to start. Um, get the right machine for the job. There's, you know, sewing machine mechanics are pretty few and far between these days, but if you can find somebody in the industry, maybe even go to your local upholstery shop or something where they have industrial sewing machines and just like show them what kind of stuff you want to sew through and see if they have ideas, look on Craigslist. Um, Cause you don't, you just gotta, you don't want to spend all this money on a brand new machine. Just like get something, mm. play with it and, and see, see how it goes for you. You know, in researching for when we were going to talk, I, I was looking into machines like that and it seems like the advice is really commonly to go find some old machine that's been used cause they're, they were built to last forever and just make sure it's running. Right. Yep. That's what I did. It works great. Earlier, you mentioned an industrial sewing machine, so I assume that's what we're talking about now. I, I, I'm not familiar with the Adler. Um, I know a lot of pictures I see Juki is another one, but I mean, soon yep. that, that, like we're talking yep. heavy duty at that point. So you can't really use that for other stuff, though. Well, different tools are set up to do different things. I mean, you can you can use different thread weights, and you have to change the tension. And I'm not super good on the mechanical side. Um, but generally industrial machines are set up like each machine is kind of set up for this type of sewing it's, it's trying to do. 
just kind of like rifles. Like you, you might have an AR with a short barrel with a red dot on it. And then you might have your bolt gun with a really big scope on it. You know what I mean? Okay. That's good to know because in, in this conversation with my wife, I was like, yeah, we should totally get this, this big sewing machine. And she's interested in kind of making dresses and things. So it's probably overkill then. So aside from the Adler, which you've got, uh, is there any other machines you might recommend somebody to start with? There is. I, I have four machines. I have a serger or overlock machine, walking foot machine, and then I have a needle feed machine, which I do 90% of my sewing on, and it's a high lead. And according to my sewing machine guy, he said, don't get sucked into like the brand necessarily, because a lot of just like in car parts, um, a lot of companies use the same guts and then they just like to put their name on it. Mm-hmm. So my high lead machine has like Japanese, it's which comes from China, the high lead does, but the guts of the machine come from like Japan, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as it's, you know, a professional industrial sewing machine, you know, from what I've seen, you should be pretty good to go. Um, now, as far as making patterns, like when you got started, was there any patterns you kind of got started with or did you kind of do it all yourself? No, I didn't use patterns. And like I say, I'm not the sharpest knife in the box. I didn't even really think about patterns. I just tried to start cobbling stuff together. And um, I probably learned stuff like the really hard, stupid way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but you got to start somewhere, right? Um, you know, once you kind of get the fundamentals of how to lay out things and how to make your own patterns, then you, you know, you're off to the races. Now I can turn a sketch and just have some basic dimensions and boom, you got a pattern. So when you say you learned things the hard way, what was, what was the biggest lesson you learned the hard way? So anything you're making, everything has to match up, right? And everything has to be like, like, um, when you're building a building, everything has to be like plumb and square, right? Mm -hmm. Everything has to match up. And I just didn't understand how to do that. And, uh, I'm still not perfect at it, but you can use notches. You fold the fabric and cut a little notch in the fabric, usually like in the centers of stuff. So you have a reference point of, of keeping things true and, um, you know, helping stuff line up correctly. It's a, it's a puzzle. That's what it is. Now, are there any, if someone wants to get into doing this, are there any kind of online communities or resources or anything like that that people can go to, to kind of get started or is it all DIY? Great question. Um, I'm not, I, Oh boy. That's a great question. Us sewers are few and far between. Uh, I feel like sewing is such like an underground, mysterious world. Like people's grandma like used to sew and like people <laughs> might know some guy who sews. But man, it just seems like it's such a rare, like secretive thing that I, from my experience, it's it's hard to find other people who are into sewing, much less like like share information. Um, I'm not super like techy on the internet. So maybe there is, you know, sewing forums and stuff. I'm just not there. Um, 
But the best thing that helps me is I'm, I'm a gear nerd too. It's just like looking at other, other gear. Like whenever I see somebody have a backpack on, I'm like, Whoa, like, let me like take off your backpack and let me look at it for like two hours <laughs> and study it. And, um, you know, every, like going to the sporting goods store is always awesome. Like I just like look at how everything is made and you just kind of get ideas on, on how stuff is put together. And so looking at, looking at other people's gear is huge mm. for ideas and stuff. Have you ever taken something apart to, to figure that out? Or are you kind of all uh, the time? Okay. So you break out like yeah. the, the, was it was a stitch ripper or what's that called? A, a seam ripper? Yeah. Seam, seam ripper. Yep. So you kind of just disassemble it into all the little component parts and be like, Oh, okay. I got it. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I feel like I would be, that would conflict so hard with my, my gear nerd. Cause I wouldn't want to sacrifice a piece of gear. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but sometimes like for, for packs and stuff, I got a, a fair handle on for more clothing and stuff. That's when I'm, I'm like sacrificing clothes because mm -hmm. I'm not as good at, at, at apparel. I make my own pants and sweatshirts and jackets. And I actually just bought a cheap jacket at the thrift store. And I like how it fits. So I, I'm going to cut this nice jacket into pieces and lay it flat on the table and make a pattern out of it. Yeah, it just reminds me of when so, I was a kid and I would, I would like took apart my friend's Nintendo to see how, to see how it worked. I'm air quoting. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> of course, I, I don't remember if I figured out how to put it back together again. So <laughs> sorry. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there too. You get stuck, but, but I will say it is one of the nice things. I think the first time I ever built an AR as an example, you know, that was where you really saw how it all came together. I feel like I didn't get it until I had to buy all the individual pieces and assemble. Yes. Yes. All right, Cody, when it comes to gear, what is something that you wish people would stop doing? Wow. What do I wish people would stop doing? I mean, people can do whatever they want. I'm not going to tell somebody what to do and what not to do. Um, I mean, I, I get frustrated by cheap gear, gear that's not made well. Um, because it's like, what, what's the point? Making stuff takes so much time, effort, energy, and money. It's like, what's the point of making something that, that doesn't function well for what it's designed for? And, um, you know, typically stuff that's made in America, especially like tactical gear tends to be like pretty rock solid because people take pride in that, that they're making it themselves in America. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, just, I, I don't know, cheap gear kind of bothers me because it just, it just bothers me. Yeah, I feel like I, I get that. I mean, I, I see that not just in gear, but just across the board where someone wants something, but then they want to go get, so they go get the knockoff one of it. That's just not made as well. Like you said, like you can feel the material isn't as nice or the, the stitching right. looks loose. And then it's going to hold up for like, you know, a few months worth of use. You know, whether or not that actually works out for them depends on how much they actually use it versus, right. you know. 
I, I, I say I put it, I put the terms of optics. What I've seen people do with optics in the past, which is they'll buy something super cheap and they'll put it on their rifle. And if they never shoot the rifle, they'll never know any better. But when they take right. it to something serious, competition or a training course, and then it fails on them, then they'll go buy another of the same optic, <laughs> you know, and they'll do that three times. Uh-huh. And by the time they got to the end of that, the, the amount of money you spent on three of those would have bought you one decent one that'll last you the life of the rifle and then the next one. Right. Amen. All right, cool. All right, Cody. Um, that's actually all I've got. So how do people get a hold of you? Like what's the best way to get a hold of Cody if someone wants to get something made? So I do primarily most of my stuff on Instagram. My account or my channel is Sojourn Gear. That's S E W J O U R N Gear. Sojourn Gear. Uh, you can send me a direct message and we can go from there. I do have a website, sojourngear.com. I only have two things on the website, but it has my email and contact information there as well. And um, that's the two main places. Okay. And I'll definitely put links to those in my show notes here so people can find that. Sure. All right, Cody. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Matt, I, I liked you from the first post I read on your Everyday Marksman website. So keep up the good work, man. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. You know, I love highlighting stories of everyday people who are doing cool stuff. And I would love to do a lot more of that in the future. This is, after all, the everyday marksman, not the professional industrial grade marksman or industrial scale production marksman. Uh, We are the podcast for everyday folks doing cool stuff. So talking to Cody was just a good time. There's a lot that didn't make it into this conversation just to kind of keep the interview to a manageable length. Um, But I hope you enjoyed it. Now, I had a couple of good takeaways from this one, but I want to start with what I thought was the most important one, and that is quality gear speaks for itself. You know, Cody made the point that you can feel it in a nice, well-made piece of kit. When you pick it up and touch it, you you can feel the material. You can feel the weight of it. You can see how well it's put together, and it just seems like it's going to last a lot longer for you versus something maybe you paid a fraction of the price for, um, but it starts fraying within the first week of you using it. So that's takeaway number one is that buy quality gear because you know it's going to be made right and it's going to last you forever. As long as you do your part to take care of it, it's going to last you a very, very long time. Now, number two out of this one, and I'm all going to have two big takeaways, uh, but number two is that sometimes you just have to get out there and try it. I loved that Cody talked about just getting out there and trying to make something and having it turned out terribly, but that was okay because he learned from his mistakes. He kept trying at it and eventually got a job actually producing gear, backpacks and bags for company professionally where he learned the ins and outs and then came back to do it for himself. And he's still learning. As you know, I say all the time, mastery is a long path. You don't just get to it immediately. You have to put the time in, day in, day out, doing things 
and then learning from it. Now, behind the scenes in this one, um, Cody and I had been working on an ammunition pouch for use with precision rifles. So if you are new to the show, then just to catch you up in this one, I am slowly working my way into precision rifle shooting, doing PRS, NRL, that kind of stuff. And while all of my current gear is built around tactical shooting with AR-15s and 30-round mags, PRS is a little bit different. So I approached Cody with an idea, and we've been going back and forth on it. So uh, be a nice little way to carry some long-range magazines, AICS format, if you know what that means, um, to competition or even more of a tactical use, because I always try to think dual purpose in the future. More info on that in the future as it comes to fruition. But for now, I want to say thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, I only have one call to action for you. I'm not going to give you a long laundry list of things you could do for me. So here's the one thing that you could do right now to help me out. Share it with a friend. Go ahead, listen to some more episodes. If you want to be sure that you like what I'm doing here, I hope you do. But here's my one thing I would love for everyone out there to do share this episode or any other episode that you liked with a friend. Help us get the word out there and help us grow. All right, that is it for me this week, Everyday Marksman Tribe. I will catch you next week. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you later.